Here's the thing though. Welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's a Thing Though. My name is Siliha and I'm your host for today. And I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people past, present and future and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. Hey Mitch, how are you? How's it going? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm not too bad. I feel like, you know, it's taken 18 months, but the lockdown blues have finally hit me. Uh, that sort of, that COVID depression. So I feel like I've been okay until now. Until In fact, now. I'm lucky for it to have taken so long. But for some reason this week, yeah, it's just... Been shit? It's just been a bit shit. Yeah, I feel that. I agree. I feel like I was kind of fine during the first lock and the only lockdown we had before, which was... Last year in like April-ish, where we were under lockdown for like four weeks, pretty hard lockdown, couldn't leave your house, couldn't see anyone. But I feel like I was okay. I was, we were having Zoom hangouts all the time. I feel like I was still talking to my friends a lot and we were just like video calling and FaceTiming because it was kind of new and exciting, like in a way, like not exciting, but like Zoom was new and like online hangouts was new for us and Netflix party was new for us. And we had all these like different virtual ways of socializing that we were kind of keen to try. So like I wasn't actually lonely last yeah, lockdown. Yeah, and as an introvert, I loved that. That was fantastic. Yeah, because it, it was short as well. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, we didn't have to work as well. Neither of us were working during the lockdown. So it was we just kind of watched a lot of movies and like talked a lot and it was actually all right. But this lockdown, I am fucking feeling it. I am so down. (laughs) Like, it doesn't help that I moved out as well. So I'm just really struggling to already cope with living alone after, like, sharing a bedroom with my sister my whole life and having a really big family and then just living alone has been really rough. And then on top of that, like, depression from having to deal with what a fucked situation Sydney is in right now as well because it's just so bad and it's not getting better. And I just feel like, also, I'm not really in a position where I'm, like, constantly talking to friends or anything either. Like, I am, I am like, quite literally alone a lot of the time. I feel like before, even if I would have... I wasn't alone because I was living with my family. But even if I was, I was, like, constantly talking to friends and, like, doing Netflix parties and stuff. But I'm not doing any of that now. I'm just existing. I don't know what it is about this specific moment. But it's just... Yeah, it's just a bit shit. It's just a bit fucking shit. Hey, no, I agree. Been very, been very sad and depressed, but I'm glad we're recording. Yeah, this is some sort of normalcy. Normalcy. A bit of a, a schedule to follow. Yeah. And look, I'm still working, which probably like isn't amazing for mental health because it's like I'm working from home, which I actually like working from home. But the problem with that during a lockdown is there isn't anything breaking apart your work cycle. Mm. So I work and then I sleep and then I get up and I eat breakfast and I work and then I sleep and then I get up. And it's just there's nothing to break it up. So it's becoming kind of depressing and sad. Yeah, as much as it's sort of, I imagine, nice to work from home in terms of that two hours of a day aren't spent commuting, Mm. that commute does function as a sort of transitional moment in Mm. which you mentally transition from your home state of mind to your work state of mind. And when you don't have that time to decompress or get ready, everything just starts to blur into each other. Yeah. And, you know, like I miss I miss talking to my coworkers and like socializing, getting coffee with someone eating breakfast, even even if I didn't have plans before work, you're right, just a commute to work. I might get a coffee on my way. I might run into someone and it's just, 
yeah, I definitely miss human connection. I really miss human connection. Well, I'd ask you how you are, but I feel like our five-minute therapy session <laughs> just explained everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is not good, but it's fine. I'm surviving. I'm just depressed. <laughs> well, I hope you guys are doing okay. Our lovely yeah, listeners. I hope for those of you who are in Sydney, I hope you're okay. And for everybody else, I'm glad that things aren't that bad there. Sorry to start off so blue. It's just my mood right now. (laughs) Let's move into some follow-up. The first thing I want to talk about, kind of the main thing, to be honest, is Free Britney, because I feel like we're just going to do tiny little updates every week, depending on what is going on with her. And there were some spicy developments. Well, more just funny, I think. Interesting developments. Um, So Britney's manager of 25 years quit. He resigned pretty much within the same week as one of the companies that's her co-conservator they're in charge of managing her finances and they have been for many years they have also quit and at the same time her court appointed lawyer who we have been talking about since this whole thing started because he's been her lawyer this whole time has also quit so three people that have had very significant stakes in britney's life have all quit within the same week and that is to me quite interesting so strange so strange like just um, well, the lawyer and her manager quit within 24 hours of each other as well. And I think it's worth mentioning that this lawyer has been with her for 13 years and her manager has been with her for about 25 years. <laughs> These are like... What's going on? What the fuck is going on? Yeah, well, okay, rumor has it. According to celeb gossip account, Dumois, I think it's pronounced Dumois. Um, apologies if it's not, but that's the extent of my French knowledge. Shared claims that the new Netflix documentary about Britney is in the final stages of production. It's like mostly done, apparently. And apparently it is fucking scalding. Like apparently this Netflix documentary is spicy as fuck. And rumor has it that these people involved in Britney's case are all jumping ship before the documentary comes out because they're like worried about being involved with this which may or may not be true like I do want to say that these are unverified rumors but (laughs) that just seems so fucking spicy and funny to me this just seems like an amazing PR campaign for that documentary I know (laughs) I was gonna say I bet you like it's not even true and like just Netflix saw that happen and was like this would be a great time to drop some rumors about Mm. the documentary but I think like even if it isn't true I imagine they are all jumping ship like even if it's not because of the Netflix documentary like surely it would still be in relation to her like speech a week ago where she was like I'm being fucking abused and I want to sue everybody (laughs) they're probably like oh shit probably should run away now before she has her full legal powers back. That's what I think anyway. Like my speculation is regardless of the Netflix documentary, all of these people are looking like massive dickheads right now. The public consciousness towards Britney's case is expanded, you know, exponentially. And these people are like the most hated people in the world right now. (laughs) Like Britney's conservatives are the most hated people in the world right now. And Britney named her management as part of, the people oppressing her in her speech. Like she said that if she refused certain like jobs or didn't want to do certain dances or whatever, her management could sue her. And then her manager resigns. So I'm like, surely this is people trying to fucking run for their lives before like the absolute shitstorm blows up when Britney actually fully take her conservatorship to court because she hasn't done that yet. She's currently hiring new lawyers <laughs> because her lawyer just needed. Um 
But that's that's my speculation. That's what I think is happening. These people are probably like, oh fuck, shit's about to hit the fan. Better get out of here. That's what I think. Um. Anyway, that's our free Britney follow up, and I guess the other follow up, which you kind of already said, but just like with Sydney COVID situation, we are under even stricter stay at home orders. Although I I do want to say like we're under a lockdown. We absolutely are under a lockdown, but Gladys is kind of refraining from calling it a lockdown for reasons unknown to me. It's stay-at-home orders, apparently. Fucking strange. But things are pretty bad here. We have pretty strict restrictions now. No guests. Only one person from a household can go shopping and only once a day, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like I don't really need to get into it. But we have we have pretty strict almost lockdown <laughs> at the moment, which kind of leads us, I guess, into our topic today because today we are going to be talking about the COVID situation, but specifically like the way it's being handled in Australia and in Sydney in particular, and also the way cops are being used, directed slash weaponized as well during this time. And the unfair targeting of minority groups with cops in Sydney and just, yeah, this whole thing is a fucking mess. We're talking about what a fucking mess it is. That's what we're talking about today. Cool. Let's get into it. You said my line. (laughs) (laughs) You said my line. New South Wales has recorded 112 new COVID-19 cases in the community overnight, like since yesterday, making today, Monday, the worst day yet of the current Sydney outbreak, which is obviously really fucked. So far, we know 34 of those people were actually infectious in the community, and I think another 12 were isolated, but only for a small part of their infectious period. So expect... A bunch of new exposure sites, probably a lot more cases. Today being the worst day yet is scary, especially because it looks like it's only getting worse from here. Our exposure sites are well into the hundreds at the moment. Even just yesterday, like I was looking at the list of new exposure sites for the day and it was like two pages long. Things are pretty fucked at the moment. And given how fucked they are we are under lockdown but like i said weird unofficial vague lockdown with super strange rules about when and where and what you can do it's yeah weird it's something we were talking about earlier today mitch and i is just like how vague everything is because there's only a few reasons that you can leave your home it's considered not a lockdown but a stay-at-home order unless you have to do these specific things The reasons you can leave your home are uh, shopping for essential goods and services, if you need to pick up or drop your kids to your partner's place, if you're moving house, if you need to access medical care, if you're providing compassionate care or assistance to a vulnerable person, or if you're going to see your partner. But there's been like confusion because what really is considered essential goods and services, and this will become relevant in a second when I continue talking, but At the moment, there isn't really a definition for that. So all the shops right now are still open unless that shop individually has chosen to close. Like I know in my local Westfield, TK Maxx, it's closed, but it's like- Oh no, not TK Maxx. (laughs) We fucking love TK Maxx. TK Maxx has been closed for a while, as far as I'm aware, but everything else is open. I saw fucking Tarot Cash open and I was like, who is shopping there? (laughs) Right? Why are you open? Just close, man. (laughs) Just fucking close at this point. Tarot Cash. Who is shopping at Tarot Cash right now? But yeah, like Hot Non is still open. Everywhere is like still open. There's no one shopping, at least from what I've seen when I've gone grocery shopping, which is the only place I've gone. Like grocery shops are pretty busy. Everywhere else seems really dead. But like places like Ikea are still open, Bunnings is still open. Like everywhere is still open. And you, if it's open, people kind of assume, well, I, I can probably go there, right? 
like what is considered essential shopping. And that's kind of something I am very personally dealing with at the moment with this apartment that I have moved into because like I'm still not fully furnished. I don't have a couch. There's a few other bits and bobs of furniture that I don't have. And I'm kind of just like, I'm not going to go shopping for these things, but also like, can I? Like, am I allowed to? Because moving house is considered an essential practice. I can move between my two, like my mum's house and my house because I'm still in the midst of moving. So legally, I can go to my mum's place and pick up my clothes and, you know, take whatever it is that I need to get. But I don't know if that is considered essential shopping. And I'm even more concerned about it now because there have been claims that cops were checking people's bags in certain parts of Sydney to check if they had done essential shopping or if they were violating COVID restrictions by doing non-essential shopping. And I'm just like, what the fuck is non-essential versus essential? Like, how do you decide that? And it's like a point of contention right now because like people need to know how to defend their shopping if like a cop stops them and it's like, why do you have this in your bag? And I, like, I do want to point out, by the way, that those aren't verified by news outlets. It's just claims that I've seen on like social media and people in my DMs as well, like telling me that this is happening. Some of the claims that I've gotten have been pretty fucked. So at the moment, New South Wales Police has deployed over 100, I think I've seen conflicting reports of 100 or 150 police officers into southwestern or Western Sydney LGAs to crack down on the community for COVID restriction breaches. And I think that is really fucked up. And part of the reason that I think that is really fucked up is because cases are now growing in Southwest and Western Sydney, and that is 100% true. But we did not see this weird targeted cop approach in the eastern suburbs and in Bondi. For those of you who aren't from Sydney, the eastern suburbs is like the wealthier part of Sydney and southwestern and western Sydney is significantly poorer with a far greater population of migrant communities and people of colour, especially like brown and Asian and black communities in this area. And so we saw like the COVID outbreak start in Bondi. This current cluster of hundreds of people now is being referred to as the Bondi cluster in the news. And cases kind of skyrocketed there and have been for ages. Like, that's why I still don't have a fucking couch because my couch is still trapped in Bondi. It's been like nearly a month. And they're escalating there as they did last year. Yeah, it's the same situation again. It's deja vu. Like, this is the same thing that happened this time last year. Um, And obviously, people in Greater Sydney who aren't from Bondi have been really frustrated And there's been a lot of political and like public commentary about the attitudes of some people in the eastern suburbs being quite lax, flouting restrictions. Honestly, unsurprising for like the privileged minority of Sydney that kind of tends to do whatever the fuck they want. These are like predominantly rich white people and it shows. (laughs) So it's been pretty bad there for a while. Like we're in, I think, week three of this new new wave of COVID, I would say, probably around then, right? Yeah. Week three? Yeah. And it's only in the past week that it's really picked up in other areas of Sydney. So for the first two weeks, it was pretty much only Bondi and eastern suburbs. And that's important because we didn't really see a heavy-handed police approach. We weren't even under lockdown at the time. So people in groups of 10 could still hang out outdoors. Bondi Beach was packed, which was legal, And that's not something I'm, like, against. Like, I don't care that people were going. But the conversation is, like, we weren't concerned and the government wasn't concerned and the police weren't concerned about all this socialising that was happening 
in Bondi and people were still shopping. Like I used to work in Bondi up until like literally only a few months ago and I'm still friends with everybody on my retail team there. And they're like, yeah, people are still like in the Westfield. There are still Karens yelling at security guards because they want to go into Maya. Like, you know, it's still what it is. And like, that was like fine. And then now cases are picking up much in the way that they did in, in Bondi in like the Southern and Western suburbs. And the New South Wales police and, like, the New South Wales government decides to fucking deploy 100 to 150 cops, including mounted police, into those areas to crack down. Like, what the fuck? What are these double standards? Because, I mean, not that I'm pro-policing at all, but if we were going to do this, it should have happened three weeks ago in Bondi. And there was somebody that I was talking to on Instagram who grew up like here in the West and is Arab and is, and is now in Eastern suburbs. And they were like, oh, yeah, there was like there were cops around, but they weren't doing anything like they were having a chat with somebody in the coffee line. Maybe they'd be like, oh, bro, put a mask on. But they weren't finding people like it wasn't violent. It wasn't angry. They were pretty chill. They were just acting like members of the community. And then we look at South and Western Sydney and predominantly Western Sydney. And the police approach there is completely different. It's far angrier it's much harsher just you know a couple of days ago i was talking about this on instagram seems to have blown up is the owner of rache's or rache's however the hell people pronounce i say rache's other people say rache's i don't know but the owner his name is rami he's very very well loved in the community he was arrested by the police with a charge of i think hindering a police investigation because he wouldn't hand over the details of two of his young female staff who took their masks off to eat. So they were sitting in the lobby inside the building and allegedly removed their masks to eat something. And then a cop showed up and was like, those girls aren't wearing a mask. I need like, I need their details. I have to find them. And Rami was like, no, like, I'm not giving you their details. They work for me. They're my staff. They've taken their mask off to eat. That is completely fair. Like, look at them. They literally have... There's a video of this on the Rache's Facebook. You have a look at it. They literally have, like, fries and, like, a bottle of whatever soft drink at the table with them. And the situation, it's a 30-minute video, and it just continues to escalate. And it's actually really... The end is really heartbreaking. So just, like, steal yourself. Because the individual cop, I think, then brings in, like, reinforcements of, like, eight or nine other cops. And they, like, fill up his fucking lobby. And then, like arrest him despite the fact that he's not being violent and it's just awful and it's to me it looks very obviously like a heavy-handed unnecessary approach to the situation because all they had to do was come in and give them a warning these are two young girls that are like not really it's not like they're doing anything they're sitting at a lobby in they're the only two people in the lobby they take their mask off allegedly to eat some fries and it's just like all he had to do was give them a warning There was no need to do anything else. And it was escalated to the point... They've both been fined, by the way. They have both been fined. And it's just like one of those situations where police have discretionary powers. These are two young girls that are like in their work clothes, sitting at a lobby, like two like admin girls. There was... You know what I mean? I just don't see why it was necessary to actually cause a fucking issue. And these discretionary powers are already problematic, but they become further problematic when there is such ambiguity about the nature of these laws and rules in lockdown. Yeah, because these discretionary powers were used in Bondi heaps. There were heaps of people out and about that probably should have been wearing a mask that were like told or given a verbal warning and then just like that was it. And then over here, we're, we're finding people with the first chance we get. And for it's just fucking revenue building, honestly. But yeah, exactly. And these things happen 
partially because police are fucking evil, but also because our government is just being so vague and so lax about rules that no one actually like knows if what they're doing is legal or not legal. And cops are just doing what the fuck they want as well because they can. Like in a press conference yesterday, <laughs> uh, in response to um, journalists questioning about Southwest and Sydney and stuff, the police officer that was speaking said, we need to be firmer, not fairer. Like, y'all literally said in a press conference to the Australian public that you're not interested in being fair. You're interested in being firm. And this is in regards to Western Sydney. That feels racist to me. (laughs) Like, especially because from what we're seeing, like, it is minority groups that are being targeted in this. Like, why else would you deploy so many fucking cops to Western Sydney of all places? And especially, like, this is even more problematic because these places are disenfranchised with the police. These are places that experience police brutality. A lot of the migrants and refugees in this area have traumatic experiences of police and government authorities. Like, this is an area that you need to be careful around because they already feel disenfranchised and they already don't have much rapport with the Australian government and with kind of any Australian authority figures, including police. So it's just like the government completely fucking this up and deciding to attack and target a group of people that shouldn't be. And all they're doing is just ruining their rapport with this community. It's fucking useless. It feels racist. It's just, it's so absurd how intense this is. I mean, there are reports of, I was talking to somebody who knows somebody that was fined for shopping at a particular shopping centre when they should have gone to the other one, even though they're at equal distance of both shopping centres. And the police still find them because they were like, you should have gone to that one. That's your local one. And it's like, who decides what your local shopping centre is? You know, like, you know which one is your local shopping centre. That's the easier one to get to. And just like, police shouldn't be able to come up there and fucking fine you for going to a different shopping centre. Yeah, the surveillance measures are fairly concerning. I know of other stories of people who are driving to work. uh, A police car sees that their registration number isn't from this area. Pull them over. They ask him, where are you going? I'm going to work. And then they'll show up at the work to ensure that that's actually where you were going. I just don't see how this is quite necessary, especially in many of these areas, when the area that is actually the problem area is not receiving any of this similar surveillance or law enforcement measures. Exactly. And that's the thing, because I think I see a lot of comments that are like, well, there is a spread in southwestern Sydney. It is bad there. And I'm like, I don't disagree with you. It absolutely is bad there. But the conversation isn't how can we get cops to fucking terrorize these people? The conversation is what can the government do? What measures can they implement that would potentially stop the spread? You know, like, for example, getting us vaccinated, (laughs) like that might stop a spread. Because something that is, you know, on my mind in regards to Western Sydney is that there isn't really an acknowledgement of how these areas have a far smaller English speaking population. A lot of these areas are migrant areas with communities that don't speak a lot of English and that aren't really in tune with a lot of the English news. There was an article, I think it was by the ABC, I'll I'll look for it later and link it in the source list, that interviewed a bunch of people from Cabramatta who are Vietnamese because there's such a high Vietnamese population there. And those people were saying how they quite frankly found it offensive that the government singled out their areas. And like Gladys actually referred to like community and cultural ideas about what's going on and you know I know it's like a cultural practice to visit your family but please refrain and it's like so patronizing and so racist because it is not like family values that ethnic people have that have resulted in the COVID spread 
And also, do we think people in Bondi don't have family? Do white people not visit their families? Like, what the fuck is this implication that only, like, ethnic people visit their families and that's why there's COVID there? Just the idea as well that, like, oh, that must be it. It's so reductionistic and it doesn't acknowledge the fact that there is, like, an information gap. When a community doesn't speak a lot of English and they're not really watching the English news, I I think it should be up to the New South Wales government to, like, make an active effort to get information to these groups. Instead, what's happening is they're not really getting the most recent COVID information until their local news station that they watch and their language broadcasts it. And there's usually a delay of about a day before everything is translated and put back out into the world again. And by the time they get information, like it's a little bit late. And then you're getting mad at them and victim blaming them and blaming these communities for like not having the access to information that you should provide them. And then policing them. And then policing them. And like terror is not how you are going to win this. Fear is not how you are going to win this. People like need information. They don't need cops up their ass fucking using the discretionary powers to like harass people of color. Like that is not the way we should be going about this. And it reinforces this idea of that people are selfish. It's like a Hobbesian anarchy. You know, everyone's just looking out for their own self-interest. No one listens, listens to authority and thus firm, heavy-handed authority is what is necessary to contain these evolving situations. When really we have these problematic situations because there is no clear information provided. In fact, maybe instead of deploying 100 police officers and paying them, pay people to actually spread this information in an accessible way. Exactly. Like instead of fucking funding, you know, this massive police operation, we should be funding like translators. We should be connecting with community leaders of these groups and getting them to talk about it. There was an ad um, by a bunch of MPs from these targeted areas that came out that was really supported by people online because it was basically them saying the same information about COVID and staying home and get back in many languages, depending on the area that they were from, which is great. Like that is what you need because I can definitely speak from like the Pakistani perspective and a lot of my like relatives and stuff don't watch the Australian news every day. And they speak English, but it's just like, they're just not involved. Like they just don't really know what's going on half the time. And it's like community outreach that we need, not fucking police, especially when we didn't see that police in the eastern suburbs, especially. But you know what? Like speaking of making people feel like everything is their fault and like the individualism, I just feel like that is very scapegoaty to me. Like it's the government completely fucking up the vaccine rollout, having really mixed messaging on what to do or not do to do during a lockdown. Like Gladys won't even call this a lockdown. What the fuck is a stay at home order? Just call it a lockdown. And then the involvement of military figures. Yes. Uh, (laughs) I think just all it does is just reinforce this idea that people are selfish. People don't know what they're doing. If they're not contained, if they're not managed, if authority isn't there to control them, then things will fall out of hand. And I think that's why there is a greater focus in these areas, which are predominantly non-white, you know, these areas which maybe have a lower average income is because it reinforces and validates this ideology of these selfish, uneducated people making life worse for the rest of us and thus reinforces that police are necessary and that the military is necessary and these these oppressive, violent approaches are what is going to solve this. And it's like, of course, these brown slash Asian slash black people are dumb and ruin everything for the rest of us good white Australians. Like, there is definitely that undertone 
like everywhere, even just like oh, the comments I had to delete off my Instagram post about this. Oh, and they were literally all like young white men coming in and being like, well, if these fucking idiots actually like understood English, I just like really racist, really racist ideas. And that's what the government is like letting happen. Like they might not say it, but the implication of these specific poor migrant areas need a police presence implies the idea that these areas are problematic and dangerous and don't listen and you know it's othering it's alienating them and it's making it seem like we're the problem and that is like already an idea that is floating around and has been since covid began last year like racism really increased since covid began against the asian community and it is spreading like i think i mean we could do a whole another episode on how covid-19 has really shown a lot of the problems in our society, like they've come to the surface, a lot of the racism, the classism, a lot of issues in society have really been exacerbated by COVID-19. And I could do a whole other episode on that, but this is just another situation in which that is abundantly clear. Well, I think it's just because COVID and what it's done to our way of life and society and the way we can interact with each other, uh, it's just sort of perturbed the way that all these institutions function. And it, sh- it is sort of shown how they function in a way that's not being concealed by the sense of status quo. You know, when status quo has been removed, we get to see the inner workings of how these institutions relate to each other and relate to us. Uh, And then we see how violent, oppressive, authoritarian some of these things are. And that's the thing as well. The reason we don't see a heavy police presence in richer areas like Bondi is because if the police go after everyone, then in a way they gain less power because then everyone will just sort of hate the police. But the thing is, is that the police have to be understood that they're here to keep peace. The police aren't here to be violent, but they constantly operate under a state of exception that there's always things in order to keep the peace that must be suppressed, controlled uh, violently. Yeah, well, exactly. The idea of keeping the peace implies that there is somebody disrupting the peace. And that is obviously in this situation considered to be like poorer ethnic migrant communities. Moving on from the police for just a second, I also really want to talk about, again, the individualism and the blaming of people instead of government and institutions that like has just been running rampant lately in COVID coverage. One that I really want to talk about is in Sydney, IKEA in Tempe had a positive case that was there for 11 hours from open to close. And everybody was reporting on it like, oh my God, some unhinged shopper was at ikea for fucking 11 hours and now there's 2000 people that are considered close contacts and have to isolate and quarantine immediately like who the fuck is this person and everybody was going off on twitter on socials i was seeing it all on instagram in the comments people rolling their eyes and being like how selfish who is this person like see like we should just shut the shops because like obviously people can't be trusted and it came out via the Daily Mail, which to me was obvious that the person was a worker. No fucking, who was at IKEA for 11 hours? No one. When I read that news story, my immediate thought was, oh my God, this poor worker had to obviously work an open to close shift, had COVID and now the whole world hates them and is acting like they're crazy and they just like hung out in IKEA for fun for 11 hours. <laughs> like, first of all, 
I just can't see how everybody like jumped on this chance to blame an individual and like loved laughing at the idea of this this stupid person that did this. And to me, it's obviously they're an oppressed like retail worker, which they are. It's confirmed by the Daily Mail that they are a worker. Like your derision and blame should not be on this fucking poor person who had to work during a pandemic and probably didn't want to. And instead, like, we should be talking about the fact that shops are still open and all these people that are retail workers are at risk of being, like, positive. And also, let's talk about the fact that the New South Wales government isn't, like, providing any kind of subsidy or stimulus check or anything to retail workers at the moment. I mean, I remember with the last lockdown in Victoria, people, like, retail workers and stuff that needed to get tested were given $300 for the time they took off to get tested. If we had something like that, we'd probably have a lot more retail workers getting tested. People are struggling financially. The housing market and rent in Sydney is fucked. Like, people are struggling to make money. They're not getting paid at the moment a lot of the time, or they're getting barely any shifts because obviously nobody is shopping because we're in some half lockdown. And, like, they're probably taking every shift they can get so they can pay the bills. And the government has put them in a situation where they have to choose between, like, taking care of their health, taking a day off and getting a test, or going to work and potentially spreading and but paying the rent. But that's not a very interesting news story, though. Is I think it? that's so yeah. emblematic of the way journalism has to now function in terms of it has to evoke sensations of, of anger because that's what spreads. That's what makes this article spread like it did because I saw it everywhere, people sharing it. Yeah, Instagram, everyone getting Facebook. angry. How could this person do this? How selfish. And it's like, no, you know what's fucking selfish? The government not actually providing like financial support to the people that should be taking time off to get tested. Cause, yeah, because one version of the story is this dumb, selfish individual. And the other side of the story is something more systemic and uh, mm. emblematic of a greater problematic system. Yeah, like not everybody can work from home. And that's also something that I found really interesting. I'll put a link in the source list. But somebody on Twitter crunched the data from ABS to see like what industries people in South and West Sydney are working in. And it's predominantly things like trade, hospitality and retail. Jobs that you can't work from home in. So, like, no wonder there's a spread. You are telling people that they still have to work. People are still going to their retail jobs. People are still performing their trade jobs or whatever. You aren't supporting them financially for being able to take time off to get tested, to isolate if they feel unwell, to take their illness actually seriously. Like, this is just, it was inevitable. Spread in this area was inevitable because of the way the government has handled COVID, especially because we don't have any fucking vaccines. And that is going to bring us to the next topic that I really want to talk about, which is the new vaccine ads that came out yesterday. A lot of you, regardless of what state you're in, have probably seen the first one. Uh, it's a slogan is hashtag arm yourself. And it's a pretty boring 30 second ad of a people's bicep with a little like sticker, not sticker, sorry, a little band-aid. Um, where they get vaccinated and it's like, protect yourself, protect your family and friends, get vaccinated, hashtag arm yourself. It looks very Brady Bunch with the different colors and the different screens and whatever. I feel like I don't have a lot to say about it. It's boring, but it's it's an ad, I guess. <laughs> with an interesting military undertone. Yes, um, which is, I think, been the main criticism for this ad is like, I mean, Scott Morrison dragged in the military into like this COVID situation when they filled in in a press conference for him for some fucking reason. I don't know why you would militarize COVID-19, but clearly we have. And then this article also has the hashtag. If you if you scroll through the hashtag arm yourself tag, it is literally just Americans protecting their gun rights. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we would take this like American, you know, fucking hashtag that's all about 
guns and arming yourself against the state and then you like co-opt it for COVID. It's so weird. It just makes no sense to me. And like they paid like $40 million to create these fucking ads, which is just absurd to me. Um, And then the second ad is Sydney specific. Um, So some of you may not have seen it. Although I imagine you've seen all the commentary online where it's a 30, I think it's 30 seconds as well of a woman who looks to be in her twenties or thirties hooked up to like, I, I wanted to say ventilator, but apparently it's not a ventilator. I don't know. She's got tubes coming out of her nose and she can't breathe. So she's, she's pretty much hyperventilating on screen and it's really distressing to watch actually. And the like, Colors are all dull and spooky, like a dark grayish green. And it's very scary. And it's horrible. It's horrible. And then it cuts to like a black screen. And it's all like anybody can get COVID. Book your vaccination. And it has been met with incredible backlash from the community. Fucking I'm glad. Because they said that this ad was targeted to young people in Sydney. And it's like, we can't, we can't get vaccinated. Like... The government has refused to endorse the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is now uh, available to people under 40. But the government is telling us not to get it. Like the Queensland MP and Gladys and the health officer all told us not to get it. And they've all expressed anger at the federal government for allowing us to be able to get it. And then we can't get the Pfizer vaccine because Scott Morrison didn't fucking order enough for everybody. And there's all these delays because our government is useless and incompetent and couldn't fucking do a vaccine rollout. So we're in a situation now where we're scared. We don't really know what to do. There's conflicting health advice. And then they're going to chuck this ad at us, making us feel bad and shaming us and scaring us for not having a vaccination that we don't have access to. Like, make it make sense. (laughs) Fucking Scott Morrison didn't order enough vaccines and our taxes have paid for these fucking multi-million dollar ads to remind us to be scared. We are scared. Yeah, the ad is like, you should be fucking scared. Like, this is horrible. Like, you could fucking die. Like, you need to get the vaccine. It's like, okay, like, I'm yeah, like, give me the vaccine. And like, oh, yeah, about that. About that. Like, yeah, basically scaring us into needing, like, something that we don't have. And now we're just even more anxious and paranoid. Like, And anxious is the right word. That ad is just an anxiety attack. I feel like it was very well done to just evoke an awful sense of dread. Yeah, it it succeeded. It's a good ad. (laughs) It succeeded in that measure. But, like, it's just fucking ridiculous because it's just... Also, on top of the fact that it's useless because we literally cannot get vaccinated according to the health recommendations, you can get AstraZeneca, but they've, tell- they've told us not to. Um, on top of that, it's just a deflection because what it's doing is using fear to pressure people to get vaccinated at a time where we like want to but aren't eligible to. But it's like shifting blame for government failures onto young people and onto individuals because then when we see people dying from COVID that are our age, they're like, well, we told you to get vaccinated. And it's like, no, you should have fucking made sure we couldn't get vaccinated. Like, it is, again, shifting blame for their failures onto us. It's our fault that this is happening. We're the ones that weren't careful enough, despite the fact that, like, we weren't even under a lockdown until a few days ago. Like, people have been following, I would say, a lot of, like, there are obviously people that break health restrictions. That's going to happen everywhere. But, like, we wouldn't even be in this mess if we actually just had vaccinations and like we've been in a pandemic for 18 months, 18 months. And from last week, the numbers from last week said that 7% of the Australian population was vaccinated last week, 18 months into a pandemic. Ridiculous. I think it's really important to kind of keep in mind 
how, aside from the fact that the government is deflecting its failures, like we've just said, onto us, it's also using cops and weaponizing a pandemic to further reinforce racism and classism within the community as well, like by sending the police into Western Sydney and denying us vaccines and everything else. All that's happening is we're having a more divided city with stronger, I guess, racism coming from the North and like people justifying increased police powers. And it's it's a mess. And this is something that serves the government. Like this social mess that is happening right now makes us more reliant on the powers that be. It makes us more reliant on the police. It makes us more reliant on the government who we are told we need because we're in a mess, not <laughs> that they're the people who made the mess. Um, and it's, it is important to be critical because something I have noticed, even on my own Instagram post, uh, is a few people being like, well, like for those of us who want to, you know, defund the police, like while we can't do that yet, shouldn't we be glad that they're at least, you know, going where the spread is? And I just, look, I don't know what kind of <laughs> like mental gymnastics has people who want to defund the police than justifying police like violence, but no. It's a strong no to that one, okay? <laughs> no, there is no, there is people who want to abolish the police or defund the police. We should remain on that perspective and we shouldn't be defending increased policing powers for any reason at all because something that we all know, even just through basic research, is that police don't stop crimes. They don't stop violence. They appear after the fact uh, with punitive force. That is their job. Their job is not to stop crime. You don't call them before the crime is committed. You call them after the crime is committed. So, yeah, let's let's not start to fall into pro-police territory. I don't know how that happened. And let's just be really critical of authorities and their power and the way that is being utilised very specifically during this pandemic. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. I think now is a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is you guys, our lovely, lovely listeners. We'd like to thank Pia, Beck, Rachel, Sarah, Liz, and Belle. So thank you so, so much. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash And if signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And follow my Instagram at Mrs.Miscellanea for discussions around film, books and music. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at here's the thing though podcast at gmail.com and please include your name, pronouns and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Cool. Bye. Bye.